Happy All Hallows Eve, ghouls and goblins, and welcome to a very special episode of Concessions. Thanks for tuning in. When Dan and I started mulling over what to do for our first annual Halloween episode, we didn't take for granted that there are a great many beloved movies to choose from. My gut reaction was to pick John Carpenter's original, aptly titled Halloween, but frankly, That's my favorite horror movie of all time, and I'd really like to save that one for a later date once Dan and I have had enough experience doing the podcast to truly do that movie justice. Then a few weeks ago, Dan and I were wondering out loud with each other why there hasn't been quite the output of new, recognizable horror icons compared to generations past. Where are all the Chuckies, the Jasons, the Pinheads these days? My answer to the question was something like, well, what about Sam from Trick or Treat? That movie just came out in the late 2000s, and that little guy is everywhere around Halloween. To which Dan responded, huh? I was absolutely floored that Dan had never heard of Michael Doherty's Trick or Treat, and I knew right then and there that had to be our inaugural Halloween episode. I think there's a strong case to be made that Trick or Treat is the quintessential Halloween movie, even over anything in the film series titled Halloween. And as much as I adore John Carpenter's original picture, it doesn't quite lean all the way into the holiday vibes the way that Trick or Treat does. We've been leaning pretty hard into horror films throughout October, but we'll be back next week with some broader genre representation, starting with Richard Linklater's Before Sunrise. If you enjoy the podcast, please follow us wherever you're listening to this, and don't forget to give us a rating as well. If you'd like to stalk us online, you can find me on Threads. My name is Jared Concessions. Dan is over on Twitter. I'm not quite feeling like calling it X today. Uh, You can find him at Dan Concedes. But for now, thanks again for tuning into our Halloween episode, where Dan and I dig into exactly what makes a quintessential Halloween flick as we dive deep on Michael Doherty's horror anthology, Trick or Treat. Trick or Treat! Welcome to Concessions. I'm Dan. And I'm Jared. And we're going to give you something good to eat. Mm, No tricks here. All treats. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, We would never trick you. No, not you good listeners. This is you guys pay good zero dollars for this stuff. And we would never deceive you. Absolutely. It would devastate me financially if you stopped listening to this. (laughs) So what are you using your hard-earned podcasting dollars on, uh, spending on alcohol? So what are you drinking over there, Jared? Well, I'm not drinking alcohol. What? Yep, that's right. You're breaking the rules of podcasting, and you know what happens to people who break the rules? Oh, no. Uh, I better watch my back, yeah, because this is not the evening on which to break tradition. That is for (laughs) sure. But here I am because I have been racked with illness this week Uh, it's not covid and i know this because i took three different covid tests on three different days this week and it was all negative but i've had just a really bad sore throat and cough i'm finally on the upswing today i could not have done this yesterday like definitely no concessions yesterday and uh, so what i have here is an herbal tea with lemon juice and honey it's a concessions miracle 
that you have healed miraculously just for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I can't just not do this. I'm financially dependent on this podcast. <laughs> the the thousands of dollars that we rake in for every minute that we podcast here through Absolutely. all the sponsors, the dozens of listeners. I mean, we got responsibilities. We are we're contractually obliged. Yeah. What what are you treating your liver with over there, Dan? <laughs> Sticking to my go-to. Because uh, my girlfriend's been showing me the glory of Costco lately, where I've mm-hmm. never gone in my life until I moved down here. And uh, you can get a, a handle of bullet bourbon for 30 bucks in California. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a bargain. So I'm sipping on some uh, bullet bourbon with one of those oversized ice cubes that are very fun to sip with. Oh, heck yeah. The only way to do bourbon on the rocks. Mm. Yeah, as a family man, I have known the joys of Costco for a while now. I well, it's like funny because I, I was one of six. So, like, there's eight of us to fucking feed. So, you'd think that Costco would have been on the radar, but I think that Costco just wasn't a big thing when I was growing up in suburban Chicago. Uh, I think it was discovered later. Yeah, I, I seem to remember them arriving on the West Coast when I was a, a small child, and I do think they expanded eastward from there. So, that makes sense. Welcome I to the talk- podcast on the history of Costco. Yeah, if you if you want an actual great YouTube channel about the history of companies, there's a great YouTube channel that's just called The Company Man. Oh, that's cool. And he's got really, really epic opening theme music. And he <laughs> will teach you everything there is to know about the rise and fall of just about any big box retailer or chain restaurant you could think of. And I've s- spent a lot of time just learning about commercial uh you know state of of our country from that guy <laughs> we all gotta break our brains on some niche thing on youtube yeah i've I've gone down a rabbit hole or two um <laughs> what rabbit holes have you gone down this week as far as cinematically or literarily oh, or... you want to talk about rabbit holes that i've been down i've been down the endless rabbit hole that arguably isn't a hole doesn't have a bottom doesn't have a top doesn't even have sidewalls uh, all semiotics and understanding of um, self and identity thrown out the window. We got House of Leaves I just finished. Uh, oh, boy. I I started reading at the beginning of the month because it was like, you know, spooky time. Uh, I was saving it for October, and someone had described it to me uh, exhaustingly enough, and they knew I was exhausting, so they combined these two. Uh, it's uh, Infinite Jest meets Haunting a Hill House. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, say no more. I'm uh, going to purchase the book uh got through it it was a bit of a slog at first when it was actually like a novel and then it just breaks open to where like words are just scattered around on the pages upside down inside out they punch holes in the pages they flip things they do like it it's one that like literally uh i hope there isn't an audiobook of it because it just wouldn't work but yeah it's it's a uh, definitely worth the read it's it's a fun like puzzle box of a book too and it's one of those where like you can engage with it on just its narrative. You can engage on it in just the narrative and the meta narrative behind it. You can engage on it on the two other layers of meta narrative behind it. You can engage on it in the level of doing all the side like puzzle pieces that almost makes it like sort of a choose your own adventure. It's so many different things. But yeah, I ended up really enjoying it. Um, there's no way that shit will get adapted into a film. I don't know if that's in development at all. Uh, which is funny because it's ultimately about a film that I really love stuff like that in any medium where it's so 
uniquely designed for its own medium. Like House of Leaves can only be a novel. Same as like Mad Max could never be a novel. Yeah. Yeah. Too much of a visual spectacle, too much about action in motion visually. And yeah, I, I love thinking about Mad Max Fury Road in that way. And you know, you're totally right about House of Leaves. It wouldn't shock me if someone has tried to make, a, what is it? A, um, the uh, the eight-minute hallway or five-and-a-half-minute hallway or something? The, the Navidson tape? Or, or the Navidson record, yeah. Well, the I even record. looked up, there's like the short, fi- like within it, try not to get too deep on the book because this isn't about this podcast isn't about the book but yeah there's a short film and then there's like a a a feature length film that's in it and like it's debated on whether it's a documentary or a film but even like the uh the short film which is like the proof of concept it's like it's called the eight and a half minute hallway which like shows this hallway that's impossibly long and people are stuck in it and like kind of you know perturbed by it and that felt like okay i could see a film student pulling that off uh, and I, I looked around at least from a cursory glance and even that doesn't exist. So wow. it's, uh, it's kind of cursed. It's kind of, kind of spooky. That's surprising to me considering the, you know, the reach that house of leaves has had over the last yeah, 20 years point. or so. Definitely. Uh, I've gotten f- far more into, you know, reading physical books for the longest time, I've just been getting eBooks on my iPad through Libby or listening to mm-hmm. audiobooks. But now that I have a full on bathtub at my house, <laughs> something just quite romantic about spending time alone in there with a nice little paperback or a nice gigantic paperback like House of Leaves. <laughs> um, so what have you I been have, uh, putting into your brain? Yeah, I've been continuing on down this path of reading sort of behind the scenes analysis of various kind of monumental motion pictures. I read that book all about 2001, a space odyssey a couple months back. This is the work he does for you people. This is all for you. It it is. This is research for another future episode. I'm sure, but I'm reading the exorcist legacy, 50 years of fear by Nat Segaloff. A lot of, exorcist content right now given that it's the 50th anniversary well we're about two months away from the 50 year anniversary because the exorcist exorcist came out on christmas a christmas movie it is now halloween and uh yeah yeah a wonderful christmas movie but man i've always respected william friedkin for just the way that he expresses himself or you know uh, he, he just passed away this year also in celebration of the 50th anniversary of the exorcist. Um, but he, oh, Dan, come on. That was a good joke. looking up something and uh, I lost, uh, I, I like lost attention just enough to, to be privy to your comedic timing. I apologize. <laughs> you <laughs> anyway. have a very subtle sense of humor. If you miss even the slightest delicate touches, you know, house of cards. <laughs> yeah. And he, uh, some of the the way that he defended this movie when it came out just hilarious hmm. and the the guy never was afraid of saying exactly what was on his mind and reading this makes me like William Friedkin even more and a lot of interesting factoids that somehow don't permeate the the hive mind on the internet and one of those is that uh William Peter Blatty while he was writing the exorcist like all novelists You'd go through periods of writer's block, lacking inspiration or just lacking the solitude that he needed in order to finish his book. And 
he then to you know counteract that that need for solitude he went and found himself some solitude by renting the guest house of one of his very good friends one angela lansbury oh cool where he finished the book if that bit of information doesn't delight you that the exorcist was written in angela lansbury's guest house <laughs> you are listening to the wrong podcast because the old lady there could be uh well you know she had some edge to her if you've ever seen sweeney todd if you have not seen sweeney todd highly recommend you seek out the um the original broadway cast performance uh featuring angela lansbury it's widely available you can stream it you can get it on blu-ray yeah, see, in my head, she's the murder she wrote lady. Yeah, I th- yeah, you know, so I think of her as as the murder she wrote lady. I think of her as Mrs. Potts from Beauty and the Beast, and I think of her as Mrs. Lovett from Sweeney Todd. Uh, quite, uh, <laughs> quite three different characters right there. Or lots one of, of these range. things is not like the other. Lots of range that she has. Yeah, but <laughs> have you anyway, seen the, uh, the new Exorcist? I forget. No, no, nope, but decided against it. Yeah, I, I heard it was best left uh, best left to not spend your time and money on, but I'll, I'm, I might catch it when it's streaming. I'm not interested in spending money or time on it. Honestly, <laughs> David Gordon Green made two just terrible, terrible Halloween movies right back to back there. Moves straight into trying to sully the legacy of another absolute classic of the genre not interested in participating in that. Like, I don't understand how, how you fuck up Halloween and the exorcist, let alone one guy fucking up Halloween and the exorcist. And still having a job. Talk about like two of the most iconic horror properties. I mean, there are no horror properties that are more iconic than those two. Like there's plenty that may be equally as iconic horror properties, but there's, there's literally nothing that is more iconic in the genre than Halloween and the exorcist. And he managed to, just shit all over both of them. I get people so, that not like it. Yeah, so no, not interested. I'll, I'll never watch that. But what about movies you do like watching? Is there a movie that you want to talk about this week that you do enjoy watching? Oh, fuck yeah. So <laughs> I've mentioned Halloween being, uh, you know, one of the, the most iconic horror properties. And I would say that the movie that we're talking about tonight may be a better representation of the holiday itself. I would say this is my second favorite movie that deals with the topic of Halloween. Number one would be John Carpenter's 1978 Halloween. But number two, all-time best uh, Halloween movie in terms of movies about the holiday is Trick or Treat, written and directed by Michael Doherty. Uh, This is a movie that has quite the cult following and a really amazing story from where it began to where it is now in the public conscious. But uh, Doherty he based this movie upon his own animated short called seasons greetings uh, before Doherty became a fairly high power, uh, uh, like high profile screenwriter in Hollywood. He was an animator working for various animation houses. I think he was an animator at MTV, but Mm. during his time there, he made this little Halloween short called seasons greetings starring a little, little demon boy uh, with a pumpkin head named Sam. And alongside that, he started developing his feature film screenplay version of that called Trick or Treat. He ended up writing for uh, notorious boy rapist Brian Singer, uh, who's a piece oh, of shit. And I'd love to say that public publicly as much as possible. 
Fuck yeah. Brian Singer. Make that one clear. Or don't. And uh, <laughs> but anyway, a Doherty seems to have a pretty clean rap sheet. But he yeah, he he wrote uh, Superman Returns and he wrote X2, X-Men United. And in the meantime, he was working on his own pet project, which ended up being Trick or Treat. Went through many revisions of that screenplay from the late 90s through the mid aughts when he when he filmed the thing. Uh, many iterations of the screenplay, which shows because this is a, an extremely polished screenplay. Mm-hmm. But the movie stars uh, Dylan Baker, who at the time was really, really crushing it in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. He did Happiness with Todd Salons, uh, his performance in that and his character, pretty notorious uh, amongst filmies like us. Uh, and then Anna Paquin and Brian Cox, also both uh, of X-Men fame, and it came over and worked with their buddy Michael on this movie as well. This movie uh, had a kind of a botched release. Like it was screened at several festivals upon its completion in 2007 sat around collecting dust until it was given a home video release a dvd release in 2009 to pretty good actually pretty good fanfare it it was released in theaters just once on halloween 2022 one year ago oh wow Uh, and its total box office receipts from that one day that it's played in theaters during its entire lifetime as a film is just short of $28,000. In oh. spite of that, this movie enjoys a remarkable cult following. And I would say even beyond a cult following, like this movie has a solid position in seasonal Halloween iconography in merchandise. Like you go to Spirit Halloween and yeah, the, mostly what you're going to see is Leatherface and Michael and Freddie and Chucky. But beyond just that that A-list of slasher villains that you're going to see merch for in, in Spirit Halloween, just below that is going to be trick-or-treat merch. Like there Sam is a- confirm. I was at a spirit last week and I sent Jared a picture of cute little Sam, right? And that was like, I walked in the door and that was the display that was like right in front of the door. Yeah, so t- tons of Sam out there in the world. Sam dolls, Sam mugs, Sam mouse pads. You can buy uh, like real lollipops that are in the shape of the sharp, deadly lollipop in the That's movie. That's such a fun weapon. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. And yeah, just endless amounts of merchandising for this movie. I really, really, really hope that the creator of all of this great imagery, Michael Doherty, has been rewarded financially for all of that merchandise being sold. I assume I assume he has, but in any case, uh, just last year when this movie was being screened uh, freely for the first time in theaters, they used that occasion to announce that the sequel is an actual active development right now so we ought to be seeing trick-or-treat to halloween 2024 2025 i would imagine more treats yeah yeah two trick two treat um (laughs) i i I, i'm so happy about that i assume it's going to get the the actual theatrical fanfare that it deserves and it's a very popular movie i imagine it'll do quite well if the movie is good enough about the history of this movie uh dan before you know, watching it for tonight's episode, what was your previous relationship uh, with Trick or Treat? 
what was your previous relationship with films about Halloween, uh, anthology horror, however you want to tackle that question. What was your kind of previous relationship with this movie or this type of movie? So I grew up in a conservative Midwestern household where Halloween was satanic. It was not to be celebrated, um, but we were allowed to do things that were like, I could dress up. I remember I dressed up as like a basketball player, like a scientist or, um, you know, real, you know, things that don't have a supernatural quote unquote demonic element to it. So all of that, like, the 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 violence the gore the supernatural all that stuff was considered not uh not christ worthy so none of that all that was omitted from my experience halloween um so i was quite late to the game of like really fully uh embedding myself in halloween so like the only halloween movies i really got to watch was allowed to watch growing up were like halloween town hocus pocus uh whatever disney channel original movie was coming out that year for uh around the fall and that was more my impression of halloween movies and i thought that i thought that the other stuff was like just this gross excessive evil for lack of a better word yeah that is not for my my clean clean soul uh and then i stopped being a nerd and i grew up and now i very much love that stuff now to the point that i actually um you say it has a cult following even wider than a cult following uh and i think this is more on my end i had never heard of this movie before uh, when you put it on the list and it's like, oh, this is definitely what we want to watch on Halloween, knowing you, it's like, okay, it's just some niche horror movie that Jared loves. Like, he's got a lot of those. Uh, but I didn't realize now, and after I saw the movie and now saw the iconography, now I'm seeing it fucking everywhere. And now I'm fully realizing, like, how big an icon he was, but like, or Sam and the movie in general was. Because what, now we're 16 years removed from Trick or Treat and yeah, this is the first time I'd ever even heard of him. And I think when we were talking about that earlier, you had brought it up a good point where it's like, Sam looks so quintessentially Halloween. And so like rife with all the symbolism of autumn and Halloween and all that stuff that like, I probably didn't even recognize him as a film character. I just thought he was like, Oh, look, an autumnal little spook thing. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, he just like almost blended in too well with the whole or the, the season. Cause he was too like, he was too perfectly an image, like just Halloween distilled and per- personified that I didn't think it was from a movie, but yeah, I, I have a soft spot definitely for horror comedy. As I've mentioned before, like I think horror and comedy are two things that are really closely aligned. Like Tucker and Dale versus evil comes to mind. Mm. <laughs> Dead series comes to mind. Uh, something with the sensibility of like, uh, of um, cabin in the woods or even like Jordan Peele films, just like, and, and, and everywhere in between, between the slapstick and something like Jordan Peele, where it's just got a dark sense of humor. Or even Bo is Afraid is another example of that. I'm all, I always really enjoy that sort of uh, seemingly uneasy mix of the two, but they're actually quite natural. Um, a lot of my favorite horror movies do uh, a lot of the both. So when Trick or Treat sort of had that same cheeky sense of humor on top of like all the the body counts and the, the the real visceral, like excellent horror chops of like the way that it was shot and everything, especially we can get into the specifics of it later. Like they, they use a lot of tricks that you see in other movies uh, to great effects. I really enjoyed this one. This was a, a great pick. And now this is, I would say for me, this is the, actually this would be interesting. This is probably also the number two Halloween movie for me, but Halloween is not one for me. And uh, I will help you audience later with that. Uh, I can't wait to try to guess what you're referring to when you get to recommendations at the end of the episode. Because that is my number one most 
like on October 31st every year, I I pretty much must watch this now. Um, but what about you, Jared? What's your history with uh, this whole film and Halloween and spooky movies and cozy yeah. movies? Yeah, you know, so I, I grew up very, very poor. And so Halloween, I think, was always a very big deal to my mom because it's a it's a it's a holiday that you can take part in by was by spending almost no money in fact you go around and get free shit from your neighbors mm-hmm. uh so it was always a big deal in my house like she, my mom did a really good job of like making us costumes like i remember she dressed me up as a really really great scarecrow one year and i've got good pictures of that that's cool uh i was like luke skywalker from return of the jedi one time because all i had to do was like wear a black glove dress all in like black like i think i just had black sweats and like a a like a black sweatshirt and like one one black glove and then like a lightsaber toy <laughs> um you know the, the 90s were a different time and I ended up going trick or treating just with my friends or like with just my older brother, like at a starting at a pretty young age, I would say like maybe seven or eight. I would just like, you know, she'd be like, you know, you have two hours, like, you know, I've got the Halloween costume, but like a big digital watch. I uh, yeah. better be back in two hours. Well, wait, you know, that you're sort of thing. a father now. And I guess, I mean, I always thought it was different just being suburban and urban that there's really no trick or treating anymore. Like if you're just in like a normal, or not a normal, um, just in like a standard suburban context, parents just don't send their kids out for trick or treating on the thirty first anymore. Because that's that um, was my experience. Well, as well. Well, as as a little little kid, I'm I, I feel like there's more supervision now. Yeah, I would and say just, starting at like nine, I was allowed to do. Yeah, and it's like in a group. Yeah, right, right, right. But just trick or treating in general is not nearly as as big as it was when we were kids. Oh, it's just less trust. You know, mm-hmm. more more spooky stories make their way around on the internet, so kids are on a little bit shorter of a leash these days. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of trunk or treating. That yeah, yeah, I've heard of that since COVID, especially. Yeah, which is just like if trick or treating wasn't fun at all, <laughs> and um, just purely transactional. Yeah, just okay. Yeah, I you see the costume, you give me the candy. Let's move it along. Yeah, there's there. Uh, ho- I hope that my kids get to experience a little bit of that freedom that really comes with Halloween. But I did that a lot. I always loved it as a kid. I, I trick or treated till I was like 16 or 17 or something. And I yeah, was there's like, that like, sweet spot where it's like, I think my last time trick or treating was 15. And that's when I started to realize like, you know, this is going from cute to kind of weird. Yeah. But I, I still like free candy now. <laughs> so I'm very excited that, you know, my daughter is old enough to full on trick or treat with me this year. Uh, go, getting back to movies, though, <laughs> yeah, every, uh, if, any, if you've listened to more than like one episode of this podcast, you know that I've been a horror freak since a small child. And, you know, Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween what, has been my very favorite movie since I was a small child. Um, there's there are very few movies now as an adult that that match it for me. And when this movie was really first uh, gaining some reputation on the festival circuit in 2007, I was all the way dialed into being very, very excited about horror films. This is really the same story as Paranormal Activity that we've talked about on the show, where mm-hmm. it started like getting buzz in 2007 and then didn't get released until 2009. Trick or Treat is the same thing, where I remember in 2007, like being on JoeBlow.com or BloodyDisgusting.com or Arrow in the Head or Ain't It Cool News or something. 
And the headline was like, new Halloween-themed anthology movie is cross between creep show and pulp fiction. And me being like, what? <laughs> Say no that more. sounds like it's exactly for me. So, and then, you know, it started playing at more festivals, more reactions came out being like, this movie's the real fucking deal, like really, really good. And then uh, it didn't come out. <laughs> and I was constantly fiending for more information about it, just based on the reviews that had come out of those festivals and people agreeing like, yeah, this really is like Creepshow meets Pulp Fiction. And it's that it's as good as that headline makes it sound and being, me being like, why can't I see it? <laughs> and uh, finally it coming out on DVD in 2009 around this time of year and you know, going over to, you know, some friends, a lot of my, you know, horror movie friends were equally, you know, jacked about it. And uh, I bought the DVD at Blockbuster and took it over to my friend's house and we watched it and it kicked ass. Mm. And I watched it, I don't know, maybe four or five times that year. And I've watched it maybe every second or third Halloween ever since. So I've probably seen it, I don't know, like nine or 10 times. <laughs> and I uh, watched it this week. I didn't even watch it just bare ass this week. I watched it with the commentary from Doherty as well as the, I think the editor and the, um, the composer for the movie oh, their cool. commentary. And so, yeah, got some trivia to share when it, when the time comes, but yeah, uh, for, I think this is definitely one of my favorite movies. Like it would probably land in the top 50 for sure. At least maybe even like top 25 or something. Um, and I'm very excited that you like it too. Yeah, I was, um, especially at first when the movie started and like the opening sequences were going, I was kind of strapping in for like, oh, you know, this is just going to be a good, you know, collection of horror set pieces that are kind of strung loosely along by a thin plot that you don't care about. And like, I'll have a good enough time and okay, move on. But yeah, I don't know. There's something about like, well, we can get into this is that I think this is truly a Halloween movie like it, it captures in the same way that like if Christmas movies are a genre this almost is within the horror genre this is specific to a Halloween movie as like a subgenre within horror because like not every horror movie is something that you want to watch on Halloween like uh, I don't know like Midsommar doesn't make any sense to watch on Halloween other than it's like kind of scary uh, but like trick-or-treat even just the name itself like it's very firmly a Halloween film um, and I think it really gets the essence of it very well. And and in a way that like I've always been kind of frustrated about, I'm going to start uh, slandering some films. So bear with me. Because um, Halloween is as like a holiday or as like a cultural touchstone or something. It's sort of this opportunity to per like throw the rules out, purge them, as one could say. Um, and like kind of just let the id go a little bit like, like it's like the socially sanctioned time that you can kind of cause a little mischief. That's why there's, you know, some in the States called mischief nice as well. Or there's other holidays and other contexts that are similar to I think of like Carnival. I think of like Fat Tuesday. Dia de los Muertos is another good example of that of just like there seems to be this uh, very, pretty universal urge of people who live in societies to want to just like take a break from it for a day or so and just like go nuts and be heathens and, uh, and do it in a way that like you can kind of get it out of your system and move on. And, you know, there's, there's, like I said, growing up, like the Halloween movies, I was allowed to watch like the very, very Disney fied ones, a very sanitized one. So like Halloween town, hocus pocus, things like that. 
And it just never, it never scratched the itch because it was all, it was like all aesthetic and it had no real understanding of like, why do people like Halloween? Like why, why are people excited about it every year? And why is this like really the only hol- uh, holiday that I've been just as excited about when I was five as I am now when I'm 31 and every year in between, because like it's, it scratches the same itch in different ways over and over when like you're five to 10, you know, you're like, I don't know, uh, just being silly and goofing with your friends. When you're a teen, you might TP a house or something, or might throw a couple of eggs or just be, you know, rascally harmless nuisances of teenagers. And then when you're like in your late teens, early twenties, it's like, that's when you're starting to like, Oh, well now we're at parties and we're drinking, we're acting a little looser than we're going, uh, than we're usually in. Like we're dressed a little, you know, more provocatively than is normally uh, acceptable. And so like, it, it's just like this ho- holiday that always follows just your desire to like break yeah. the rules in a yeah. socially acceptable way. Uh, and trick or treat understands that because well, it, yeah. it actually breaks all these rules where Halloween town and, uh hocus pocus and stuff like that it's just like oh we're gonna like make a potion Ooh, yeah well and and in fact like trick-or-treat nails all of those eras of a life just in this 80 minute movie mm-hmm. like like you've I got uh, you've got a very little kid who just wants to go trick-or-treating for the fun and fun of it and spend quality time with his dad you've got a the the like preteen you know chubby kid who's just out out for the candy you've got the younger teenagers who want to go pull pranks be little shits their prank is kind of harmful but yeah uh, you you do have that just like those agents of chaos young teenagers you've got the like college age girls that just like want to you know go out dress cute and slutty and like go and you know uh have their cake and eat it too (laughs) you've got the parent age guy that wants to spend quality time with his son that i mentioned before uh when they go trick-or-treating up to one of the houses and it's like their teachers and stuff are in there and so they're like you know in their 30s or something they're acting like fucking morons yeah exactly yeah you've got the like middle-aged adults up there that are yeah just acting acting crazy like having an orgy or something (laughs) and then finally you've got like the old man that just kind of like wants to be left alone wants to be a contrarian like it seems to take some joy and like still scaring the little kids, but not really <laughs> yeah, yeah. taking part in all the bullshit. And the movie, yeah, the movie touches on all of that in such a short amount of time, weaves it all together in such a compelling, satisfying way, playing around with all the, you know, the nonlinear structure and everything. And uh, yeah, it really, it really nails that, that just that, I think you referred to it as a joyous nihilism, yeah, uh, that that just comes with like embracing the off kilter, embracing the counter culture, like inv- like you know these things that are normally not okay to really indulge in the rest of the year. It's it is that purge night, and yeah, this movie has the whole spirit of that from so many directions, and it nails all of them so well. Yeah, and it's like, it's the only holiday that acknowledges, where every holiday, it's like, okay, for this day, we have a new, kind of a new set of rules, or a new set of customs that are are only applied here, where Halloween almost in a way is like an anti-holiday, where it's set of rules, it's like, we're going to acknowledge for one day that all the rules that we play by, by the other 364 days are like sort of made up. And we like, they don't actually have any physical manifestation in this world. And 
we can just as easily decide to just drop them and not live by them for a day or so. And I don't know. I think that's like what's really unique about a Halloween type uh, holiday. Like I said, there's a bunch of other ones like that, too. Uh, but it's just like this, yeah, this sort of gleeful nihilism, for lack of a better term, that we get to all acknowledge for a day. It's like, yeah, a lot of this that we, uh, a lot of the things keeping us in check are kind of bullshit. And let's just like shake that off for a day and just be little cretins. Yeah, I wonder when, at what point though, did what you're describing that glorious freedom from you know, society's usual constraints, when did that become sort of synonymous with like ghoulish, macabre horror imagery? And when did they combine? Because, you know, the the Celts were not doing that quite, quite so much. Like they were, they were doing it here and there, but at like a certain point, you know, it came over to the, the Scottish and the Irish and the English kind of brought their traditions over to the, to the U S and then it, at a certain point it became like, Oh, let's let's all be scary and scare each other too. And uh, I'm wondering, like, you know, why is it that, like, you know, we would have the desire to take what is essentially a harvest festival yeah. and turn it into like, let's see who can be the scariest. My and I'd have to look this up a little more extensively, but my understanding of it is it does come from because you know All Hallows Eve is a pagan ritual, and it comes from uh, the idea that. Yeah, and it's cited in the movie that, like, for one day, like, all the ghosts and ghoulies and dead, like, have sway over you. And uh, one of the rules is you got to keep the jack-o'-lantern lit. That's how they know that they can't come in. But uh, I thought the the tradition of dressing up for Halloween is if uh, it's people trying to disguise themselves as one of the ghosts and ghoulies so that they will not, they'll be passed over. Like, Oh, uh, uh, yeah. The ghost will walk by, look at this guy, it looks like it goes like, uh, yeah, that's not a person, that's a ghost. Yeah, you, they, yeah, so like, yeah, I'm going to put a candle in a turn up and put it in my window. So the, well, have you seen pictures that? They're terrifying looking. Terrifying. Yeah, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen the turn up, original turn up jack o' lanterns. Oh, my God. Surprising, surprisingly, many have been found well preserved from like 1650 Scotland. Oh, good for you, turnips. <laughs> they just turned up one day halloween's that one night we get to turn up <laughs> all right we're gonna cut this episode short bye everyone we're sorry yeah what one of the cooler things that I, you know that i i've never noticed in the movie and i've seen it so many times is when sam is fighting the dad from succession he <laughs> uh and he's like trying to get him with the uh the the razor blade in the candy bar uh, and you know they're having their whole fight scene it's like the score is literally like dun 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 mm-hmm. like it's like so really? good. oh yeah wow. oh, also i was waiting to see how long you would go before you mentioned succession Bri- brian cox is just such a fucking legend i'm gonna cry when he dies Oh man, yeah. I was actually th- that like is what made me realize his age is that in this movie that's now sixteen years old. I'm like, oh, he was old sixteen years ago. Fuck. Uh, he they made him look older than he he did at the yeah, time. Yeah, they aged him up a bit. And but we'll, he's we'll, playing we'll, an old guy sixteen years ago. Totally. Yeah, he is playing the final uh, step in that chronology we were describing about a person's relationship with Halloween. Yeah, I, I can't wait to talk more about his makeup in a little while though. So uh, yeah, is there? Uh, uh, let's let's kind of move on. Like I want to talk about Sam 
as kind of an embodiment of of Halloween itself and all the various traditions and that sort of thing. Like you point out that like Sam is kind of a ghost of of the of the Halloween spirit. Like similarly to like uh, what was it Jacob Marley in A Christmas Carol? What does that mean to you, Dan? Yeah, so I was thinking about that, and um, it was another. A lot of the research, a lot of like the base research I do passively, I'll listen to other podcasts of people talking about this. And I want to say this was faculty of horror that brought this up, or is the evolution of horror? Those are always do well. that's like one A, one B that I go to for horror podcasts. Check them out, they're great. Um, but one of them called them uh Sam the Halloween cop, which I thought was quite yeah. appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Uh because like they very clearly set up the rules and in the opening, which winds up being the closing scene, too. It's like you have to do this or else there are consequences. Um, and yeah. all the people who get got in the movie, similar to like a slasher, they break some rule. And ordinarily, the rules that are broken are like very like uh, like traditionally conservative rules of like, don't have sex, don't drink, don't cavort, all that stuff. Where these are like very specific to Halloween rules where it's like, you know, have your fun, have your mischief, but like, don't actually really fuck with people. Like don't really hurt people and also keep the lanterns on. Like just don't, don't fuck with the lanterns either. So you see all the people who break these rules in some way, shape or form get punished either with Sam watching and approving, or eventually it's Sam himself that starts doing it. And at first that was the interesting thing about Brian Cox when he got, got at the end. Cause I was actually thinking he was the exception for a while where I was like, well, wait, he didn't, really break a halloween rule yet he was just a grumpy old man and I oh thought, no no he, he denied the those kids their candy oh that's right yeah, to, yeah when they came to trick-or-treat he set his dog upon them which another thing uh i finally realized that his dog's name is spike spike uh this spike at this entire time i like watching this movie over the years i thought that his dog's name was spite with a t oh. at the end <laughs> and i mean at all time like like the last you know 13 to 16 yeah 16 years of my life or 14 years actually since i actually saw it uh on dvd i thought that the old man's dog's name was spite <laughs> with a t and i thought oh that's a fucking cool name for him <laughs> like to name his dog but no he does have a normal dog name it is spike with wow. a k as the the subtitles on the blu-ray informed me <laughs> much to my chagrin oh okay then that makes sense where yeah he breaks uh especially that rule because i was i got got me thinking about that too it's like you know when you were trick-or-treating as a kid and like you always hated that one fucking house that kept all their lights off on halloween and you knew that you couldn't go up there and you couldn't like get anything because they're just douchebags and like i guess the inverse of that is like the the chubby kid that gets punished for coming up and it says only take one he takes four or five oh, breaking yeah. the rules of trick-or-treating and it, it does show this like very interestingly communal aspect to all this and the social contract that everyone is uh, agrees upon is like everyone's going to participate in trick-or-treating they're all going to give out free candy but it's also expected that the kids are going to behave in kind and not take too much uh so people that break either side of that contract in this film get punished and i this is a very marxist film <laughs> Yeah, this is a uh, we got some anarcho communist communism going on here in our Halloween. But he and you see Sam the whole time kind of surveying them, making sure everyone stays within the proper bounds of behavior. And it's not our typical understanding of behavior. Like my, I think my favorite 
uh, like payoff of all the stories is the uh, are the like the teenage or the young early twenties women about how that paid off. That one was so fucking satisfying at the end. And you see Sam like kind of monitoring it all, where it's yeah. gruesome. It's what they're doing is like you know technically against the law, but it's not against the laws of Halloween and the spirit of Halloween. Yeah, and especially like not only you get the reveal that they're all werewolves and you get the excellent werewolf transformations where you know any, so any, good. Good, any good werewolf movie needs a great werewolf transformation they're also having the traditional sawain bonfire mm-hmm. they're also and you also get the great like turnaround of like little red becoming the big bad wolf and yeah and, and i also get love the, the, we like, get the reveal that that's that's stephen wilkins like that's dylan baker um you know, all everyone crossing paths. And, well, I really um, loved um, also the way it shot the women where like, you know, it, it's a common tired trope of a lesser movie where it's like, we put the women in sexy outfits. It's not red riding hood. It's sexy red riding hood. It's not little Bo Peep. It's sexy little Bo Peep. And you see the scene where like the camera is just fucking licking these women as they're taking off their flesh to become werewolves in the same way that like, you, you would expect like a shitty like American Pie style movie to like ooze all over these women's bodies as they're like stripping down into something sexier so that you can stare at it and get a quarter chub. Now it's like oozing all over these women's bodies as they're literally ripping their skin off as if mm-hmm. they're taking their clothes off to show that they're fucking werewolves and ready to kill you. And I'm like, oh, that's so fucking good. Yeah. I love I was like straight up like cackling at that. Real delightful subversion, very very <laughs> feminist. Reminds me of the the end of the witch. This is a feminist anarcho communist film. Everyone, yeah. I mean it. I mean at the very least, it does. Like you said, it, it does buck those stereotypes or those cliches rather in this type of movie. Like so many like horror films, you know, get rated by like how good the female nudity in them are. You know. This definitely one where like the women have the the sexual power. They're the ones that are treating the holiday for their pleasure. And yeah, like like what you said, the werewolf transformation being a subversion of like the typical like nudity payoff in a horror movie. Yeah, yeah excellent, yeah. excellent um, stuff. And and to your point too, that um like that they're in control of their own sexuality. Like the people who get punished are the ones that like they probably could have just made out with them, hooked up, had a good night, and not not gotten on any trouble it's the people that start abusing them that get selected it's not like these like femme fatale things where it's like oh don't fall for these hot sexy ladies they'll murder you it's like no don't like assault them like if they like that scene like the back where the guy uh i forget his name that the dad character where principal he, wilkins like, yeah where principal wilkins where he like you know essentially i think he kills that woman doesn't he uh he does yeah he basically he Dresses up like a vampire, kind of behaves like Jack the Ripper. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, kills a, a, a female parade goer in a dark alley. Where I think the film at least was suggesting that, like, they, they basically were trying to bait, like, essentially uh, sex pests <laughs> into their nest. And then, like, kind of let them uh, set their own trap. At least with him. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the, the giant baby did to deserve that. but. <laughs> Uh, also in that scene, you the I forget the name of the character, but the lady who answers the door for the kids, where you know she's like the teacher and 
they're having mm, like their so middle age orgy. She's there uh, and also revealed as a werewolf during that scene. At oh, the end. Yeah, I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember when I noticed that. One of my many viewings is like, hey, it's the lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so great. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. It, it, like you were saying, like kind of the Pulp Fiction of it all. It doesn't just like subvert audience expectations just to like, oh, I'm like edgy and doing the other thing. Like it uses it, plays with the symbolism to then mm-hmm. suggest something else about the symbolism or what it's capable of outside of what we already understand. Yeah. Like, like I think um, it just, it just like to have like narratively satisfying threads also. Like uh, one of my favorite reveals of the interconnection at play is uh, you were saying earlier that. Uh, the Brian Cox character wasn't like all that guilty of anything too heinous to mm. deserve Sam's wrath, but he did murder a bunch of kids on Halloween. Right. Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah. we find out later that he murdered a bus full of special needs children on Halloween. That's pretty bad by uh, Halloween standards and, you know, normal societal standards. Well, yeah, maybe, yeah. Most people would agree. Maybe not everyone. Um, oh, yeah. that is also a small piece that I want to put a little, uh, I'm going to throw some West Coast slander out there. And Halloween, or Trick or Treat, understands that there are only two regions in the country where Halloween works. And it is New England, and it is the Midwest. Everywhere else, Halloween is a bullshit diet version. Where I'm out here, it is currently, at night, bear in mind, it's almost 8 o'clock. It is 63 degrees out on uh, October 26th. They're saying Halloween shit. I'm seeing palm trees. I see sunshine. <laughs> this is not Halloween where you're like, you go to a store. It's like, oh, cozy up for Halloween. It's like, well, how? Yeah. how am I going to cozy up? How am I going to wear a sweater? It's hot out. In, no. Yeah. In fact, oh. the crew of John Carpenter's Halloween famously had to collect dead leaves for weeks on end for whenever they could find them so that they could... Um, you know, sort of pepper all of their shots. Oh, where, where was uh, where's Halloween supposed to be set? Oh, that um, where uh, I can't remember. Illinois, uh, suburban Illinois. Oh, oh interesting. Mm, oh, mm, mm. Where this one? Where, <laughs> and where was it shot? Pasadena, California. Stupid. Uh, so yeah, where, they had to like they had to like just like artificial like they had to rake up and reuse the same dead leaves <laughs> for like weeks and weeks and weeks for uh, like a countless number of shots to get that. Midwest vibe. They had to go to um, extraordinary lengths. And yeah, and I, I guess I don't have the the wherewithal to understand what is it about the the Yankee Doodle sensibility that really makes Halloween appropriate there, other than just you know the the weather of it. Because this is, trick or treat set in Ohio, and I, and I get why New England makes a lot of sense because that's where a lot of our like superstitious roots come where, from. Where are you getting New England from? As it I, pertains to this movie, not not this movie. I'm just saying in general, there are two regions of the country where like, oh, I see Halloween thrives, and it's New England and uh, and the Midwest. Now, I give the South some credit; they really got the gothic horror thing down. Uh, but they don't oh, yeah. have Halloween going where the California and the West Coast, Seattle, it's spooky. I'll, I'll give Seattle and the North nothing scary about San Diego. There's not a damn thing scary about San Diego, and it's just the the front like exhausting northern soul in me that when i see people all pumpkined out and she is like gourds can't even grow here gourds shouldn't grow here this is not where pumpkins belong um is it, oh, man. 
my small little soapbox that I'll never win, but it's our podcast, so I get to shout into the void. How stoked were those turnip carving former Celts when they crossed the Atlantic, you know, discovered uh, pumpkins. Oh, they got <laughs> so like, much room. Oh, my Art. God. Look at this. This is the perfect thing to carve a spooky face in and then put a candle inside of. <laughs> <laughs> so much better than a turnip. I couldn't have designed a better thing to make a jack-o'-lantern out of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's so so perfect. You think people? I'm, so, I'm so happy for them. <laughs> you think people in other climates tried other things? Like when you got down to like uh, Florida or something, they tried like watermelons. Oh, watermelons would make terrible jack o' lanterns. Probably extra scary because they would rot immediately, especially in that climate. Yeah, potatoes were popular back in the old country. Yeah, but it's so hard to hollow out. Pumpkins are so easy to hollow out like that. Yeah, no, and 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 they make delicious pies and lattes and cookies and potato chips and oh. oil changes I pr- and oil changes uh, i promise we'll get back to the movie i got one more question uh that i i didn't realize this was the midwestern of me did you eat pumpkin seeds growing up yes uh mexican we called them pepitas and they were roasted and salted and we ate them like sunflower seeds yeah 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 we do that after we like every time we carve the pumpkins growing up we yeah, as we got the pumpkin we'd uh separate out the seeds put them in the oven salt them and uh, enjoy as a snack but i said that in um in one of my classes the other day and everyone like screwed their eyes and looked at me funny like why, why would you eat the seeds i'm like no that is very mexican uh behavior there <laughs> well the midwest in mexico i guess we got one thing in common hell yeah <laughs> B- bump it <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but anyways, this movie that we saw, you remember? Oh, that? it's so fun. <laughs> I have a question because uh, I really do think that description of Creepshow meets Pulp Fiction is so accurate. Like, I, I can't think of another movie that's more like Pulp Fiction than this movie that isn't, you know, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah. Like, it really does, like, have that sort of anthology where it's like, you know, we're taking all these stories, weaving them together, and they actually do you know, affect one another in fun ways. And it made me really realize just in general, like the time frame of this movie coming out, like being developed as a screenplay from the late nineties on through the mid aughts, and then finally being produced. It really did ride the wave of that Tarantino inspired kind of new wave of auteur filmmaking Mm -hmm. that really came out of the late nineties and continued, uh, you know, through the aughts. And it then it then got me thinking that there's a real dearth of auteur cinema and horror just in general. Like even going back to like the earliest horror films, they're all based on an existing property. You've got your Frankenstein's, your Dracula's. Oh, um, I see. And uh, even like in the even like the really great ones, like from the '70s, The Exorcist and you know Jaws and stuff, based on novels. The Omen, based on novels. Uh, you go into like slashers, uh, like you know, Friday the Thirteenth, not not written by uh, Sean Cunningham. You know, Wes Craven wasn't really writing many of his own movies. Like very few, like real, like classic horror films are real, like auteur films. And I'm wondering one why that is, and two, what did Doherty do here that sort of cracked that code? 
Yeah, that, and that sort of answers our question that, uh, that we talked about a few weeks ago, like a new slasher for uh, for our era or something. And and yeah, Trick or Treat, I think you literally said Trick or Treat is a great example of that. And it's like, oh, we'll talk about it later when we actually do the episode. Because um, now I just pulled up like horror movies and big horror movies. I, I would actually push back and say right now we're in a bit of an auteur-driven horror era. You're right, era. you're right. Yeah, we've got Ari Aster, we got Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele for sure. Like get out sort of High West, uh Kyle yeah, Edward Ball, depending on how he goes yeah. with that. I mean, M. Yeah. Night Tom- uh, Chamon's mostly adaptations. Yeah, the yeah, the writer, director making original work. Uh no, M. Night Shyamalan has had a hot streak of scary original ideas that he penned and directed for sure. Maybe I might take that back, but I I, I will sustain that by and large, horror films are not it's not as auteur driven of a genre as many. Yes. Others. That's what I would say too. It's like, and I think not that it suffers from, but it has a lot of more so than most genres. It has a lot of huge icons to explore. And, and it's like the zombie or Frankenstein or a ghost yeah. or, you know, they, they have these things that are, older than you know human civilization essentially and people have been riffing on it for as long as stories have existed so yeah and yeah i'm trying to think of it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because now the 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 other genre that i was compared to comedy doesn't quite have that there's not like a supreme comedic figure or character other than like the clown uh that just gets ripped on over punch and judy yeah, yeah, like there's, there's uh, like, ropes, but every single genre is going to have like a you know an archetypal character that you can play around. Yeah. In. No horror, yeah. horror was IP driven long before cape shit came along. Yeah, yeah, that's really actually that was interesting. I was reading this Twitter thread the other day about about the difference between like the heyday of slasher horror IP franchises and uh, and the MCU. And a good point I think someone made is like the MCU never or like the horror franchises never like got so big and so ubiquitous that they pushed out everything else where the MCU is kind of doing that. Um, Because even at their height, like, I mean, shit, what's the most expensive horror movie you think ever made? The most expensive horror movie ever made? Well, let's see. Let me guess. Let me take like three or four guesses and then then let's look it up. Or you go ahead and look it up while I guess. Okay. Um, Oh my God. I never would have (laughs) guessed. Sorry, that might influence it. Okay. Uh, my first guess would be The Conjuring 2. That's so you got to you got to tell me if I'm hot or cold. Yeah, uh if this will help. Hold on, hold on. Well, the number one is not it's it doesn't have uh it's an adaptation of a book, but it like it's the only one in the film franchise, I guess. Would I agree that it's a horror film? Yes, yeah, yeah, undoubtedly. Okay. And are we adjusting for inflation or not? Uh, it looks like it did. Yeah, is that an older movie? Because if it's an older movie, it must have adjusted for inflation. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, based on a book and not super old, and it's the only one. Wow. I that I wish I just would have thrown out some more guesses. Why don't you just go ahead and tell me? I have no idea. World War Z. I disagree that that's a horror movie. You like zombies? Come on, I, I guess. I guess if zombies equal horror, yeah, that makes sense. Got a huge star right there. A whole it's just built on a bunch of special effects. 
it's literally a, like a big old action movie. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> but all that to say, as we diverted there again, there's been a lot of diverted. Well, you know, it's just like the film. We're diverting. We're weaving around. We're coming back. We're dipping in yeah. and out. Well, uh, well, I'll tell you what. What movie uh, didn't cost a whole heck of a lot of money, but still the the studio and the distributors bu totally bungled its release? Trick or treat. <laughs> I mean, how dumb do you have to be to not give this movie a wide theatrical release in late October or in like mid October, like or even even just a like a reasonable release. Like this thing is ripe for, especially like you said, it, it didn't cost that much to make. So with a lot of horror, that's sort of the the idea behind it from a production side is like, yeah, we'll fart out like ten of these, and if two of them hit, then sweet. Yeah, and and my understanding is the movie did really well on DVD and Blu-ray. But I, I don't, I, I just cannot understand the calculus of like spending, you know, this movie probably costs like between five and $10 million to make, I would guess. And uh, like, why wouldn't you try to recoup some of that theatrically, just knowing that the movie was going to review well, test well, 11 million? 12. 12 million. That's, yeah, that's like not, that's, it's about right. Yeah. And I'd, you know, obviously, you know, everyone involved in financing this movie has has made back their bread in <laughs> in home video and particularly the merchandise sales and like the obvious like huge licensing agreement they have with Spirit Halloween. But man, it, it really just blows my mind every time we cover a movie on the podcast, discover that it basically just didn't get a theatrical release and then developed a huge cult following. Like this movie just seems like just perfectly marketable and they knew they knew they had a good movie on their hands. Yeah. And this isn't right? with a lot of these cult films. There's usually something wonky or niche or like something where like a, a real micro part of the film community will latch on to like this just feels like a general crowd pleaser. There's nothing like yeah too uh, inaccessible about it. No. And Anna Paquin at the height of her popularity. Um, the movie isn't super gruesome or like, you know, off putting in a way to general audiences. It's kind of a soft R rated, I would say. Yeah. And um, yeah, just blows my mind. I, I'm really I'm out, out here hoping that Trick or Treat 2 is treated more fairly than that. There's no way it can't be after all this. Yeah. Um, but part of me thinks it is because this is no tour movie like this is a writer director that no uh, one had heard of. You know, it's not tied to any big IP, right? There isn't a, a Frankenstein or a Jason or a Freddy to put butts in seats automatically. I mean, maybe on the surface, this is a direct-to-video type of movie. But still... Yeah, now that you're framing it that way, that does make at least a, a little more sense. That Especially the state of horror filmmaking at this point. Like, it was sort of in a dearth, like... You're kind of saw is probably the, saw and paranormal activity are probably the two biggest things that are coming out at this point. Uh, yeah. Even paranormal activity is like just getting started. Um, so a lot of it's like aging old franchises that they're just kind of beating the dead horse over and over to get a quick paycheck. So I guess maybe it just the state of horror filmmaking at this point wasn't quite there yet for the sort of refresher that we're in right now or kind of on the back end of at this point i would almost argue yeah 
Yeah, it does all make sense when you really frame it that way. And I guess they couldn't have known just how well received this movie would be. Yeah, you never can. And, uh, and you know, it was extremely well received on its release. But but now it's even more it's far more popular than it was back then. Yeah. yeah. Um, so would you like to uh, gush about we'll give you <laughs> you got five minutes. I'm going to set a timer for five minutes and you get okay. completely unencumbered. You get to rattle off every reference in trick or treat that you thought was neat that made you do the leonardo DiCaprio in once upon a time in hollywood thing of just like oh i see it okay yeah 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 i'm gonna start with uh internal references so the movie referencing itself because this is the type of movie that you, you can do that and you can miss these if you're not really eagle-eyed and then i'll move on to external references to other horror films all right so we've got for the right i already have started the top watch oh yeah here we go so we do have sam uh, getting the razor candy bar from Principal Wilkins right at the beginning of the movie when he like runs up like the kid the the kids uh, that end up going and pranking their uh, Carrie White surrogate uh, when they knock on his door Sam comes up and just grabs a candy bar from it real quick and just you know disappears off into the night he then you know discovers a razor blade in it and uses it to attack uh, uh, Mr. Krieg uh, at the end of the movie. Uh, Principal Wilkins' little cute son. I forget his name. Is it's probably Billy. He looks like a little Billy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he asks his dad, "Can I go to the parade with you?" And uh-huh. he says, "No, no, no, no. That's for adults." And then he goes to the parade and murders that lady uh-huh. and uh, follows Little Red Riding Hood into the woods to his death. The dead school bus zombie kids appear right at the very beginning of the movie, walking down the street away from Mister Krieg's house. Uh, right around the time you see the Michael Myers-esque slasher guy staring at the couple. Um, and, and uh, well, and there's another external reference. That guy's supposed to be like Michael Myers. Right. But yeah, you see those kids just kind of shambling along behind him. And you really, <laughs> I mean, that doesn't point them out, but you can see them. You totally see them there. Um, when you first see the parade, there's like a newscaster lady and she's saying werewolves, zombies, and demons descend upon this sleepy town. Oh. And we, literally, we literally have those three things in the movie. There's a great, great, great smash cut where we have a scene with the early twenties girls who are later revealed as werewolves. When we then go to, um, you know, you know, Anna Paquin and her friends and everything to the the kids at the quarry. And when they do, you hear all the wolves howling. And wow. uh, someone's like, is that, was that, is that wolves? And you know, someone's like, nah, it's just dogs. But you know that they are an earshot of eventually the bonfire you then see at the end of the movie. Uh, when you first meet Anna Paquin and her werewolf girlfriends, they're talking about like, oh, we're like, you know, we're, we've never been to this town before. And one of them says, fresh meat and then <laughs> another one says oh like remember last time when you like you were uh you were doing that guy in the back seat and you puked and she's like oh, i just ate some bad mexican oh my and God. <laughs> uh, and then then they're like well sarah had a girl that year and then sarah was like she was sweet <laughs> and it's just so funny every single thing they say is a double entendre for them eating their dates and it's just wonderful the place where they go out and have their bonfire is called Sheep's Meadow, and the wolves are uh, there in yeah. Sheep's Meadow. And then we've wolves got sheep's clothing. Uh, we've got literally Bo Peep. We've got one of the girls dressed as Bo Peep, literally a wolf in sheep's clothing. Moving on to uh, uh, references to other things in this minute movie. forty-five. 
awesome. We've got characters. Uh, we got a character named Lori right off the bat. And she's like kind of the virginal final girl type of person right at the beginning, like Lori Strode in Halloween. Brian Cox is specifically made up to look like John Carpenter in this movie. Oh, that's fun. At, at his request, he's like, can you make me look like John Carpenter? I think that would be fun. And they were like, fuck yeah, that's a great idea. So that's why he's, <laughs> even though he's an old man, the, they make him up with like the hair and the nose and everything and the, the scars to look like John Carpenter. Um, there's some other Halloween things in there that I'm probably forgetting, but uh, Sam cuts his heel like a uh, gauge in pet cemetery mm. um uh, a piece of hard candy falls down the stairs like the red ball in the changeling mm. when uh brian cox cuts like he shotguns sam the hand goes and attacks him like evil dead too to which brian cox responds you gotta be fucking kidding me which is an iconic line from john carpenter's the thing yep, which yep, was yep. also an ad lib by brian cox because he loves john carpenter the 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 girl uh who gets pranked Rhonda, that she's supposed to be like carrie white from carrie she gets mm-hmm. pranked by the cool kid who actually does kind of like her like carrie she gets back at them like carrie her house and her front yard are an exact replica of Carrie's house. For oh, Carrie. is it? Wow. Yep. We've got the werewolf sisters from Ginger Snaps. We've got Christine, the Stephen King car makes an appearance. Uh, the little boy at the beginning, uh, who's Principal Wilkins' son, he's dressed like Chucky. And then finally, we have uh, the photo reveal at the end where we find out that Brian Cox's character goes way back, just like the end of The Shining. You got it. You got it all within... We'll we'll uh, round up the five. Minutes. I started I started to pick and choose which ones I was. Oh. Say. <laughs> so one I didn't want to interrupt you because I I wanted you to uh, just to show how much was fucking crammed into this movie. Um, that I I also really loved the opening kill scene looked exactly like the opening kill scene in Halloween, like Michael Myers' first one. Uh, yeah, yep. That, that's why I like started getting privy to like, oh, this is gonna be like a super. Not not necessarily a cabin in the woods, but like a super meta, like we're we're going to be aping a bunch of things just for uh, for fun no. and and have a, a good effect from it all. But it's less cynical than cabin in the woods, I would say. No, and there's um as I've just demonstrated, there are a lot of references to other movies in this, but they don't they don't like point at them and be like, ha, look at that, look how clever. We yeah, are. yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like it's it's for people like me who fucking love that shit, and um. <laughs> But the movie itself doesn't rely on the like member berries or the like, hey, remember John Carpenter's Halloween? It doesn't do that really yeah. at all. It just kind of like like Pulp Fiction. It kind of just uses things that you've seen before where I mean, that's what Tarantino does so well, where a lot of times he'll use references, but in a way that like I almost am not aware of that. I'm like subconsciously aware of them where I know that this all like feels like other stuff, but I couldn't specifically point to like, Oh, that's the shot from this movie with this guy where I've, I've heard behind the scenes things where that's literally how Tarantino directs people where it's like, okay, and now you're going to move like this guy from this movie. And then you're going to say this line in this way, how this guy in this other movie said it, and it's all going to like come together. And so it gives you that, like I'm thinking of like once upon a time in Hollywood where it gives you this feel that this is, a late 60s early 70s movie but you have a hard time like literally pointing to every individual piece because it doesn't telegraph itself or like hey did you get it do you get you get what we did there yeah 
Yeah, it really doesn't. It just uh, it plants a lot of those things. A lot of them are near imperceptible unless you are a huge fucking geek like I am. <laughs> and I've been like racking up those spot the references for the last, you know, 14 years mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, delighted every time I watch this movie, I, I catch a couple more that I hadn't previously. <laughs> um, um, so- I, I got to get I got to give you one more. I got to. All right. We got one more. Good. So, one. There's this actor in this movie. His, his name is C. Ernst Hearth. Okay. Uh, he has like 120 credits to his name. He's always playing like a no-name role. He's basically like the go-to like creepy fat guy in like so many like genre movies, TV shows. And he played a giant baby in the movie 13 Ghosts and then also in Trick or Treat. I love that. So uh, I just looked him up and yeah, he's one of those guys that once I saw his face, I'm like, oh, I've seen him. The man is six foot six. That's a giant baby. Yeah. And he he's literally like, he's like go to like, yeah, creepy fat guy. <laughs> and uh, he has been in so many movies that, that you've seen. Right. And it's just funny. Like they, he was deliberately cast as giant baby in trick-or-treat because michael doherty admires the movie 13 ghosts oh, that's great i love that i feel like uh horror films in general like it's sort of a, a very incestuous world where people want to use actors from other stuff and like purposely prop them up and like people can make whole careers just being background guys or character actors solely in horror films which i love uh, yeah totally and um yeah, that guy's one of them where, yeah, quite the career, quite the quite the body of work, and yeah, has the dubious honor of playing a gigantic creepy baby in a couple of <laughs> 2000s horror films. One of them's pretty damn good. <laughs> Uh, so, Jared, what would you uh, double feature uh, Trick or Treat with if you wanted to have a perfect Halloween night? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and, like, since I've already mentioned Creep Show a few times, I'm going to go ahead and dispense with that. Um, if you like, how, like, anthology horror movies and you haven't seen Creep Show, Creep Show is, like, I have it's not. a gain of anthology horror movies. I need to see it. Yeah, it's not as good as this movie, but it's just as far as, like, the traditional kind of Here's like three or four stories. Yeah, creep show. Um, no, I, I want to. I want to recommend like a brand new movie that I, I just read the book and I just watched the movie and it is pretty damn good at capturing the spirit of Halloween. Uh, it's a movie that just came out like a week or two ago, and I can say that in this episode because we are recording this damn thing and then we were going to publish it right away. <laughs> um, but it was yeah, it was just released you know in the middle of October and. Uh, based on a popular novel from like 15, 20 years ago. It's called Dark Harvest. Dark Harvest. And Dark Harvest, I would pitch it to you as Trick or Treat meets The Hunger Games. Ooh. So it's basically like a bunch of kids or teenage boys. They have to go out and they have to kill Sam from Trick or Treat, basically. <laughs> uh, and the first one to kill him gets to gets a big, big old prize. And so it's like pits all these teenagers against each other to try to kill this like Halloween demon with a pumpkin head and a boy's body. But he 
in the book, he's described as looking basically exactly like Sam. Hmm. In the movie, they I, I think they were aware of that, and they they changed the design where he's like freakishly tall, oh, but okay, still okay. boy, but still boyish, but still a pumpkin head. And uh, it's a fun movie. It's not a great movie, but it does capture a lot of Halloween traditions, similarly to Trick or Treat. And it's just a cool juxtaposition. It's like, it's like that same story that you see in Battle Royale, The Hunger Games, uh, like Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, The Long Walk by Stephen King, uh, the oh, The Running Man, also by Stephen King. It's very, very similar uh, type of story, but uh, set to uh, traditional Halloween tropes. And then uh, I want to I want to push back a little bit on like. You know, your Hocus Pocuses, your Halloween towns. <laughs> there is one kind of four kids kind of oh, no. squeaky clean 90s Halloween movie that just fucking rocks. And it's Ernest Scared Stupid. I don't know that one. You know, do you know Ernest? Uh, Ernest goes to jail. Ernest goes to camp. Ernest saves Christmas. You're, are you familiar with Jim Varney's Ernest at all? You don't uh, know Ernest? It's not... Bear in mind, like I said, I was, uh, no, I don't know this man. Huh. Okay. So yeah, Jim Varney, he got, he was really famous for playing a character in, uh, his own movies named Ernest and Ernest was like a bumbling sort of, my name is Earl, like good old Southern boy type of guy. And Ernest appeared in like his own Christmas movie, his own Halloween movie. There's a great Ernest goes to jail is a really popular one. They're not good movies. They're very, very stupid humor for stupid little kids. But I fucking loved Ernest Scared Stupid as a little kid. And I do think it really, really does Halloween right, from what I recall. I haven't seen it in 30 years, but I <laughs> would strongly encourage you to watch Ernest Scared Stupid. And it's like know, the thing that the, uh, the overweight kid in Trick or Treat probably loves. 1,000%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Ernest Scared Stupid is a good one. And I, I challenge you to find a dumber Halloween movie. There's no way. So I'm looking up the other Ernest movies. There's no way Ernest Goes to Africa is not racist. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that one. I I owned a copy of Ernest Scared Stupid on VHS as a kid. I know I saw Ernest Goes to Camp and Ernest Saves Christmas and Ernest Goes to Jail. But <laughs> Ernest Scared Stupid was by far my favorite. Maybe I'll have to break my brain on some Ernest content here. Uh, it's the time of year to watch Ernest Scared Stupid. <laughs> and maybe start to stop there. We'll find out. It's the best one. Um, so for my recommendation, I thought you were about to steal my thunder, where I was going to push back against myself a little bit on the Halloween towns and the Hocus Pocuses. And here is a Halloween-themed uh, miniseries that was made for kids. But I think it still deeply captures the spirit of Halloween, and I think it's still because it doesn't it doesn't sanitize things, but it does keep it for a younger audience at least. Because there there are points in it that are like are genuinely pretty frightening. Uh, it's over the garden wall. That is uh. a, that is my number one must watch on Halloween pick since I saw it a few years ago. It is oh this also I think this is also a midwestern one or is it? new england i can't remember but it yeah it just captures at least for me growing up like this is what my hometown felt like it during halloween like 
it's what it felt like being both their ages during Halloween. Um, I also had to battle some pumpkin heads during uh, Halloween. That's a different story entirely that we can get into. But yeah, I just absolutely love this miniseries. It's on Hulu. I think the the entirety of it is actually not really that long. You can watch it in one sitting. Yeah, it's 109 minutes end to end. It's just in a bunch of like 15 minute vignettes, essentially like the length of a cartoon when, you know, when you're watching a cartoon growing up where it's like, one cartoon commercial break, other cartoon commercial break. They're about that long, like twelve yep. minutes. Ah, uh, and each each one on their own are just so so wonderful. I love them so much. Yeah, double double down. I also recommend over the garden wall. Wait, I just want to read uh, the 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 frogs' names. There are ten of them that have been uh, brought out just to give you a taste of them. You got Doctor Cucumber, Benjamin Franklin, Ronald, Kitty, George Washington. Jason Funderburger, Mr. President, Skipper, Wirt Jr., and Greg Jr., a frog of many names. But oh man, over the garden wall. I couldn't I couldn't gush about this one enough. Uh, but the other one, if so I was thinking just a classic Holly or uh, Halloween fair that uh, and I couldn't like the only anthology I can think of that really it doesn't fit with Halloween well enough, but it's horror is Quidon, which I actually just saw last week. And I'm like, eh, I don't think they really are trying to do the same thing, even though they're anthologies and horror anthologies at that. So I was thinking something more that's just like just your most classic uh, horror film, horror icon- iconography, just like almost something to put in, put on during a Halloween party and everyone's going to be like, ah, yeah, this is good Halloween stuff. It's Nosferatu. Like the imagery mm. in Nosferatu is undeniable. Yeah. And it's uh, even though it's you know not a Halloween film, it's technically not a Dracula film based on copyrights. <laughs> We've got to be really careful with that one. Uh, Bram Stoker's wife, I believe, tried to sue them into fucking oblivion, and this film almost got destroyed as a result. But yeah, just the, the imagery of this just screams this time of year to me, at least for me. Fantastic picks, less on the nose than mine. Uh, <laughs> Over the Garden Wall is far less stupid than Ernest scared <laughs> stupid but i got to tell you which one my kids are going to see first <laughs> Ernest scared stupid mainly cuz you want to see it first i i'm dreading watching it i have the 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 rosiest tinted glasses when it comes to my memories of Ernest scared stupid that I almost don't want to watch it. I almost just want to make my kids watch it and then they can report back to me with their feelings <laughs> on it. Do you know what film we should do that that it's the quintessential example of that that I have rose colored glasses on it. I have positive feelings on it because I don't think I've seen it since I was 10 and I've probably seen it like at least 50 times as Space Jam. We should maybe oh put that on just to see what our adult eyes see when we watch Space Jam. <laughs> Okay, maybe for <laughs> next year's 420 episode. Space Jam! Oh, yeah, Space for, the, for the listeners in the room that are still with us, we do have an episode of Office Space that we recorded while we started Stone Cold Sober and smoked right at the beginning, and by the end, it's there's a reason we haven't released it, but maybe if we ever get big enough for a Patreon, that'll get released. Yeah, if we just want to absolutely just cringe editing an episode we'll try to edit that one there spread the word to everyone uh get this podcast going and you'll get rewarded with hearing uh us and a third guy uh all you know exhausting 30 year old white dudes talk about office space while they're high that's what that's what people are yearning for these days 
Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's about all we got for trick or treat. Uh, we can wrap this up. With, we'll take off our costume, go home, and check what we got in our little pillowcases uh, for this week of concessions. I'm Dan, and I'm Jared, and I don't care. I'll pull down your underwear. <laughs> I'm not wearing underwear. Neither am I. <laughs> 